Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. This week's edition of Insight is brought to you by Optus. Their data deals are a real steal. Too soon? Well, for balance, we'd be happy for any telco to sponsor us, but we're not holding out much hope. As Optus has found out, cyber attacks are not a phony problem, and research suggests Australia's vulnerability is increasing. Domestic lines are a challenge at the moment. IAG are increasing excesses as a solution, and one consumer group is concerned about carpet insurance. Sorry, that should be car insurance. Damn autocorrect has become my worst enema. And speaking of pains in the farce, even the UK are looking into pools to solve their insurance affordability issues. Hello, everyone. Who are you going to call? Obviously, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Are you concerned about your carpets with another La Nina coming? Well, I am, actually. <laughs> They've already had a dowsing a couple of times, so yes. <laughs> Hello, John. Hello. As an expat, you've taken over your natural place as Chief Weather Consultant. Yes, that's right. More weather news later. And hello, Terry. Good day, yeah. How are you going? Good. Do you still use a landline? <laughs> no, no. In fact, I rang somebody the other day on a landline and left a message, and I haven't heard back from them, So, but they haven't even checked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that uh, <laughs> that speaks for everybody. Well, thanks to Optus, the cyber threat is headline news again, and there's plenty of jokes for me. But there's also a new report out, Wendy, that suggests Australia's vulnerability is increasing. Yeah, the uh, French technology group uh, Talis um, says Australia's participation in AUKUS, the um, security pact between Australia, the UK and the US, and the quadrilateral security dialogue, which is with India, Japan and the US, has put us uh, on the radar for cyber attacks. So whereas previously Australia was considered a minimal threat to the strategic interests of other countries, this is, uh, you know, the joining those groups has really changed that. Uh, so they are emphasising we really need to do a lot more to be proactive. That report specifically focuses on cyber threats to critical infrastructure. So it says uh, cyber security has to be part of the safety practices across the uh, entire spectrum there. More frequent and more severe attacks is no good for cyber insurance customers, is it, John? Uh, that's right. I was, as we've said many times recently, it's the frequency and severity of cyber attacks that is causing cyber insurance premiums to rise so quickly. As for this Optus attack, it's a pretty fast-moving story, but at the time of recording, I don't think we know exactly who the perpetrator was or exactly what went wrong at Optus. We also don't know what their insurance arrangements are in relation to this event, but insurers will look at it. They'll see the severity of it. It'll have an impact on the market, I'm sure. There's a lot to play out here and we'll just have to, to see how it goes. But what needs to happen for insurance is that we need to get the resilience and the mitigation measures up to a higher standard so that this kind of thing happens less frequently. Now, we all know why home and context premiums might be rising. We've talked about it a lot in the last couple of weeks. But, Wendy, IAG has increased excesses as part of their response. Well, yeah, this is the uh, default excess that's been raised for some products um, across its uh, NRMA insurance, SGIO and SGIC brands. So 
you know, as premiums go up, obviously, um, which they are at the moment, uh, people can choose a higher excess as a way to reduce the premium. IAG says it's always encouraged people to to look at those options. And at the moment, it's seeing people make that that choice to adjust their excesses. So in reviewing the excesses, it's in in some cases, it's raised the default level. So people can still uh, adjust it up and down themselves, depending on how much they are prepared to pay before the insurance kicks in when a claim happens or how much they want to pay up front with the premium. Terry, is this a sneaky way to disguise price hikes or is IAG trying to do its best for its customers? I think the the default excess for IAG for the for those particular brands has only gone up by $250 to 1000 So no, it's not a smart marketing trick. It's, it's just a logical way to to really try and dampen down a bit the the rapid inflation that we're experiencing. Customers can always change their excess up and down in a period of inflation and rising premiums. Really, it's it's a logical and sort of wise way to to look at lowering your insurance premium by accepting more of the risk yourself. John Terry mentioned inflation. It's uh, hurting everyone, but one consumer group is concerned about car insurance customers specifically. Yes, that's right. So we did a story last week about this. It's something we've noticed coming through in the AFCA complaints. When you buy car insurance, as you probably know, you can usually choose between an agreed value and a market value. So if your car is a total loss, if you've selected agreed value, you've chosen an amount that the insurer will pay you should you lose your vehicle or have your vehicle written off. And um, that amount is is sort of agreed to by the insurer as well. Everyone knows where they stand. Market value enables the insurer to decide what they think your vehicle was worth when it was when it was lost or destroyed. So there's less certainty there. So in the past, agreed value was seen as the better bet. But in this high inflationary environment, it's kind of gone the other way around because with market value, at least that adjusts sort of automatically with inflation because the insurer is going to have to pay you what your vehicle is worth in in the current market. Agreed value, if you set a figure some years ago and you haven't reviewed it, you could be in trouble because, you know, that figure could be out of date your car's written off and you get paid an amount that is nowhere near enough to enable you to replace that vehicle like for like. So uh, we're seeing a lot of complaints coming through to AFCA where people have got a really nasty surprise when their car is written off and they get a sum which they just think is nowhere near enough. Of course, if it is agreed value, you've agreed to it. So you're kind of stuck with it. There's got to be really uh, strong circumstances for you to challenge that. And the Consumer Group Financial Rights Legal Centre says they're getting a significant number of calls about this. Uh, The message really is to keep an eye on that figure. It does tend to go down because uh, insurers take into account depreciation. So uh, your figure is going down at the same time that the value of your car is going up. So it's a bad combination. The only answer really is to keep a close eye on your renewal documents and see each year how much your car is insured for and whether you're happy with it. And the onus, unfortunately, is entirely on you if if you've selected that agreed value. So, yeah, it's an interesting topic. It's one of the most read stories of, of last week, and it's obviously something that's affecting a lot of people. Surely if you've chosen agreed value, you're aware of that amount. So when it comes to renewal, that that would be something you would uh, you'd be looking. I mean, is it too much to ask for people to review their renewal documents and make sure everything's in order, Terry? No, it's not too much to ask, but it's probably too much to expect. 
Look, people whinge about paying higher premiums, but they rarely give the policy documents a glance. And I reckon if you sat down with half a dozen people and said, you know, you agreed value or market value, they wouldn't know. And you just have to accept it. People stay usually stay with a personal lines insurer for I think it's an average of about seven years. That that you know, it's quite a, quite a long loyalty period. At least that used to be the figure. And I'll bet one reason for sticking with the insurer is the belief that they'd read the policy documents five years ago and they won't have to deal with reading anything more if they just renew. And that really is is the way we seem to go about it. If people read the renewal documents, do you think we get a lot more churn between products or providers? Possibly. I mean, people, but people don't. They, you know, I've just just received my renewal document from a car insurance, as an example, and another insurer has dropped in and said, "Hey, would you like to insure with us?" And for the first time in at least five years, I'm thinking, "Oh, maybe I should look into this." And I reckon I'm pretty much every man. Well, I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping you're not every man. <laughs> Moving on, Wendy, the FCA in the UK is looking to act on insurance issues caused by flammable cladding, which I thought was a type of clothing garment. What's this all about? Well, this, you know, this dates back to the Renfrew Tower fire in 2017. You know, since then, there's been a sharp rise in insurance costs and some insurers have stepped back from providing cover for high-rise residential uh, buildings. So the Financial Conduct Authority has been doing a, um, a review. And so they've come out and they've called for more transparency around the pricing, but they've also proposed creating a, um, a cross-industry insurance pool to reform the multi-occupancy uh, buildings insurance market. So it says that will limit risks um, to individuals, insurers posed by certain buildings that have flammable cladding or other material fire safety risks. And the FCA says now that it it expects the industry to work quickly with it and the government to develop uh, solutions, including around this uh, pooling arrangement. And it also mentions uh, reducing commissions as well. Well, jokes aside about the Brits and um, swimming pools, yet another pool, Terry, is this becoming a stock solution for any insurance affordability issue? Yeah, they're quite the fashion item at present, aren't they? When risks are very large and the premiums are too, then reinsurance pools should be in the mix for consideration as to a way to to deal with the insurance aspect. But but keep in mind, as a not very good example, the Scott Morrison Memorial Cyclone Reinsurance Pool. Since the Grenfell disaster, UK insurers, as Wendy says, have become gun-shy about the number of multi-occupant buildings that don't meet fire safety standards. So the premiums have gone up. So now they're looking for a way to actually cover the risk rather than maybe looking at fixing the problem. Really, the this this is how insurance is meant to work anyway is is to is to be able to be flexible enough to to have multiple solutions to to any one problem uh, the financial conduct authority which is sort of a cross between the ACCC and ASIC but but with the the protective instincts of your favorite auntie it sort of sees a reinsurance pool as the logical answer but i really don't think it should be the only solution they explore to achieve lower premiums because there's there's a lot of options out there. Well, finally, it's raining across the East Coast again, John. What can we expect from this third consecutive La Nina summer? 
Yeah, so we, we've had some more bad weather um, down the East Coast. Uh, nothing really major in terms of insurance claims at this stage, but still quite worrying times for some of those communities. Our analysis this week is written by uh, Andrew King, who's a climate, climate scientist at the University of Melbourne, and he has a close look at what this La Nina could mean. So it's it's the third La Nina in a row, as we've said before. This has happened twice before, as far as records go back, um, between 1973 and 1976, and 1998 and 2001. First, the good news, this one we're in now could be, could be a mild one. So the uh, models are showing that it won't be as strong as the, as the previous two. And it's usually the stronger La Ninas that uh, really create that extreme rainfall across eastern Australia. So, so there's a bit of a, a bit of hope there. Uh, on the bad side, it, it's not just La Nina that we have to worry about. There's there's uh, the Indian Ocean dipole and the southern annular mode as well. And as we've reported before, both those uh, systems are in phases that could see more rainfall as well. Also, on the bad news side, could we have a fourth La Nina? So I don't think we've ever had four in a row, but this scientist doesn't rule it out. In fact, in, in 2001, 2002, that followed a, the, the, the triple La Nina up to that year, it was very close to being a fourth La Nina then. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. We've just got all this wet weather at the moment and, and no end in sight, unfortunately. Well, on that bright note, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.